for only about 30 days. Very short pontificate. Of course, the pontificate of Paul VI was controversial, and then we get into the time of John Paul II, and I'm joined today by a man I've admired for a long time. I've read his work, Father Charles Murr. Father Murr, was John Paul I murdered? In Villa Sciata on the Janiculo Hill, the Sunday after the Pope's death, I asked that very question to Cardinal Gagnon. And his answer to me was, there are any number of ways to murder a man. Right? That was exactly his answer. I took it as meaning yes, but not the way that you would think that he was murdered. There was a lot of talk at that time in Rome about poisoning, yeah. that he was poisoned, that John Paul I was poisoned. Uh, Gagnon had evidently heard already about the shouting match that went on the night before, the night of his death. Right. So he wasn't so ready to say, uh, to, to exclude that. So yes, I think, he, I, think he was, I think he was murdered. Yes, I think he was murdered. Yeah. Uh, but in a different way than people would have guessed at. Or, okay. Or, yeah. Well, let's get into that today. It's going to be good. Uh, Father, I'd like for you to maybe open for a prayer for us, and then, um, and then we'll jump in. We'll talk about his infiltration real. We'll talk about Pius XII, Paul, John Twenty-Third, Paul VI, John Paul I. I mean, you were an eyewitness. You are definitely an insider in all these things, and I think uh, a lot of our audience already knows who you are. But uh, it's gonna, this is going to be a good interview. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Me too. All right, Shall Father, we? please. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. Rebuke him, O God, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, Seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have, have mercy, mercy on, us. on us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. First of all, first of all, Taylor, may I tell you in front of your grand audience what an honor and privilege it is to be on your program. And I mean that most sincerely. I do. Well, thank it's great. you. This is a, I'm excited about this. It's great. It's good. Well, I, I've wanted you to be on the show for a long time, and uh, we, we connected, I guess, around Christmas time, and I've been looking forward to this day for a long time. In fact, about a week ago, I was live streaming, and, and someone says, you've got to get Father Charles Murr on your show, and I was like, already scheduled. It's going to happen, and here we are. Quickly, before the old man dies, quick. <laughs> right. So tell the audience, for those, I mean, a lot of people know you have a lot of great books. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and put uh, the book Murder in the Thirty Third Degree. This is a this is an excellent book. It's written in a novel kind of format, in action format. But uh, tell us your background, uh, your connection to the Vatican. Obviously, you're an American priest, but you've definitely been embedded at Ground Zero in the Vatican, uh, going back many many decades. So, give us the introduction of of your connections there. Sure, I, I was born in a, a, a beautiful city called Saint Paul, Minnesota, to a beautiful family in a beautiful community. Uh, very Catholic. Uh, I only knew two Protestants who, who had married into the family, and they were very quiet about the whole thing. <laughs> Everybody else on both sides of the family were, were practicing Catholics, and 
uh, was part of our culture and uh, our, our joy of living. It was just, it was just that way. Um, I finished uh, grade school in uh, St. Paul and high school. Uh, went to college, finished with a, a degree in, uh, in Romance Languages. And I wanted to be, I thought, wanted to be a lawyer. And my dad had <clears throat> quite a number of friends who were priests and who were lawyers. And hmm. every time they came over at the house, we, I would always engage in a little bit of a conversation with them. And then I was asked to leave the room, right? But, <laughs> but <laughs> what I recall of the lawyers is that each one of them, uh, quite a number of them, but each one said that he had a degree in philosophy. Now, these are the old days. Lawyers had degrees in philosophy before they would go into law. Why? Logic, logic, logic. And that was the way you won a case. I remember sitting down with uh, Arthur Gillen, who was my, my father's lawyer and our state senator, uh, who explained, he just took a case and did it step by step with logic, how you get through it. I was fascinated, absolutely fascinated. And it was Aristotelian logic that he had learned at, uh, at St. Thomas University, right? Anyway, uh, I went to Rome with that in mind to study philosophy, uh, to become a lawyer. That's what I wanted to do. But, and the only place that really, that really offered classical philosophy at the time, the classics, Aristotle, Plato, was the Angelicum in Rome. So I went there, finished a degree, and I lived at the Mexican college. And the reason I lived at the Mexican college is because uh, they let me stay there if I would teach English courses to postgraduate students who were studying at the Angelicum, the Gregorian, the Antonianum, different universities in Rome. And it was a fantastic place to live. The spirit was absolutely magnificent and the people were uh, outstanding. There were about 90, 90, 95 priests in the house and they were just good men. You know what, to Taylor, that's something that I've, I've said this Often, and the older I get, the more the more I believe it, the more I know it. There are two things that really get you through life. Anyway, two things that have gotten me through life. Let me not generalize for everybody. Faith in God, but also a sense of humor. If you, if you, if you have the two, I think they're a dynamic, dynamic duel in life. And they both of them get you through anything. They really do. And humor, good humor reigned in that college. It was fantastic. The student life there was magnificent. I was a lay student. I wasn't a, a seminarian or anything else. Until in 1974, uh, a Monsignor, a, a young, a, well, middle-aged priest, I guess he would have been about 36 or so years old, arrived, an Italian. His name was Mario Marini. He had been teaching in Mexico for three years and had just come back to Rome and was uh, had accepted a, a position in the Secretariat of State in the Vatican as secretary to uh, to Giovanni Benelli, who was the, the subsecretario, the secretary of the subsecretario of the Secretary of State, right? He actually he was the man who did things. Villot was the Secretary of State at that time, Cardinal Villot. Uh, but the man who was really the power behind the throne was Giovanni Benelli. Right? And Mario Marini was 
uh, a good friend of his and a, and a good friend of, of Pope Paul VI. Why? Because Mario Marini came from a family that was very anti-clerical in the north of Italy. And when he said he wanted to study to be a priest at age 18, his father absolutely forbade it and sent him to the University of Bologna to get a doctorate in engineering. Uh, he said, he said the father figured that in, in those years at the University of Bologna with all the beautiful Bolognese girls in the university, that would, he, would, he, would, he would solve the problem of the son becoming a priest. Well, he didn't. And when Mario finished his degree, he went on to, uh, to, become, to enter the seminary, but he couldn't study in Ravenna because of the family situation. So he was sent to Milan. And since he had no money from his family because he had no familial support, the Archbishop of Milan paid his way uh, his studies. And the Archbishop of Milan at that time was, was Giovanni Battista Montini, right? Who is so Paul when the Montini, six. Paul the Six, when later became Pope, he called Mario to to Rome because he knew him from his student days and he was impressed with him. Uh, a very strong man. 6364, deep, deep voice that you could hear for about three and a half blocks, and uh, solid Catholic, no nonsense. Uh, detested, knew very well and detested Marxism, knew very well and was up, very upset by theology of liberation that was infiltrating the, the Catholic Church, especially in Latin America. And he was in the Secretary of State where he thought he could make a difference. That's, that, was, that was the gist. Anyway, the long and the short of it was he, uh, he took me very much under his wing and uh, my life changed. It just changed. It, uh, I had been living probably not in a serious way. And when I met him, uh, he questioned everything, questioned everything. And he was constantly knocking on my door after dinner to go for a walk, right? And we walked and we talked. We became very, very, very good friends. Uh, I joke about, about it, but I called him, I referred to him as the fourth person of the Blessed Trinity for me. He was, he was, uh, I can't imagine life without him. Tell, him, I'll tell you that. And at the time, anyway, was he working under Cardinal Villot? He was work. He was working in the Secretary of State under Villot. Yeah. Yes, because Villot is, you know, if you read your book or you look into this topic, was John Paul one murdered? I mean, he's sort of the prime suspect, isn't he? Let me let me put it this way: Villot was not a nice man. Yeah, you met him several times, I presume. <laughs> many times. Many, many times. times. As a matter of fact, when I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but when Cardinal Gagnon when Archbishop Gagnon at that time resigned in disgust. I had to bring his resignation letter up to Villo and hand it to him uh, personally. Uh, not a nice man, not a nice man. And there was, uh, he had, Mario had to work with him, but the great thing was that he had become very good friends of Benelli, who was really in charge of things in the, in the Secretariat of State. So uh, that's kind of where we were. Uh, as I say, Mario and I became very good friends. Uh, 
He became my spiritual director, my confessor. And I also started working in the Vatican at that time in the information office. Uh, then as a, as, a, as a seminarian, because Mario, it's a, it's a long story. Sometimes I get in the weeds. You have to yep. reel me in. You have to reel me in. But one night we went out and we were walking and walked the, the old streets of Rome. Two stories that are fascinating, and I think they're worth the while. We were walking on the Lungo Tevere. You know the Tiber River going through the, sure. going through the city. On the other side from the Vatican, on the other side, very close to Victorio Manuele Bridge. We were walking and we encountered about either four or five transvestites. They were called transvestites then. Yeah, I still call them that. Yeah, I still call them that. You can't change your gender, you just change your vesture. So I just say they're still transvestites. Well, it, 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 it's, it's, I think it's still applicable, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Transvestite. Mm -hmm. So you saw five transvestites. Anyway, when we passed by them, Mario's got a Roman collar on, and they started catcalls, uh, kind of insulting him. Right? I got very, I got very upset. I'm 24 years old at the time, right? <laughs> I got very upset and very defensive, and I wanted, I, I wanted to get in with them. I thought that would be a great thing, you know, starting a fight with five transvestites on, on the, you know, at midnight or something. <laughs> They'd have it in the newspaper. Mario said. Mario just grabbed me and he said, does that bother you? That bothers you? And I said, it, it certainly does. And he said, why does that bother you? I said, because, and this is, listen to the naivete, right? I said, imagine we're walking here in the shadow of St. Peter's Basilica. And this is what's in the shadow. This is outrageous. He said, you think St. Peter's Basilica is really special, don't you? I said, to me, it's, I think it's the, 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 the most sacred place on earth. Yes, to me it is. He said, you see those five we just walked by with the cat calls and everything else? I said, yes. He said, they have an easier possibility of getting into heaven than most of the people I work with under that dome. Wow. Right? And I just went, oh, whoa, <laughs> whoa, I, I mean it. It, it. it was like somebody took a two by four and hit me in the forehead. And what year about was that? Uh, this is 74. 74. Yeah. 1974. Right. And then he started explaining how difficult it was, how difficult his job was, because it wasn't just doing the job, making the recommendations finding the errors and correcting them, you had to jump through all of the, these terrible hoops that people, the, the personality things. You had groups of people who were opposed to this, who were opposed to that. I think it was, the, it was also at that time, I think at that same night that we were walking, that he told me that he believed he was working with a number of people who didn't even believe in God. Yeah, 1974. Now, coming from coming from my background, believe me, uh, that that shook me. It, it just did. And he said, he said this, and and it, when I'm why I'm telling you this story is because there are certain moments in your life that there's a change in your life when you see things clearly or you begin to at least. 
And this was one of them. And he said, why would it scandalize you to know after you've just told me that the most sacred place in the world to you is the Vatican, is St. Peter's Basilica, is the Pope and the, and the, and the Pope, the Pope who, who, who is the head, the visible head of the church on earth. You find that the most sacred place on earth? I said, I do. And he said, well, why would you think that right across the hall from the Pope, the devil would not have pitched his tent? And I, I said, whoa. He said, if this is the most sacred place on earth, you can be sure that the devil is right next door. Right there, right there, as close as he possibly can be. I had never looked at things that way. <laughs> I just I just never had looked at things that way. And it began, a lot of things began to make sense. And a lot of my own naive day began to, to die, to fade away. And I started seeing things the way they were. Uh, he got me a job also in the in the Vatican Information Office where I worked in uh, right off St. Peter's Square for I worked there for five years and it was a great inside job to everything in the Vatican. I got to meet a lot of people and and, uh, and know a lot of people get got to know them. Um, in 1975 or at the end of 74, Mario Marini Again, we were walking in St. Peter's Square and Mario Marini said, did you ever think of really seriously of, of, a, of a vocation to the priesthood? He said, this lawyer stuff. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? He said, the world doesn't need another lawyer. And I said, well, some people would say the world doesn't need another priest. He <laughs> said, yes, but they'd be wrong, right? If they said that. He said, yeah. He said, have you ever thought of it? I said, well, I've thought about it. Yes. As a matter of fact, I was convinced I had a vocation when I was a young man. Uh, it kind of fell by the, by the wayside for an, a number of reasons. Um, and he said, well, why don't you seriously think of that and pray about that? And we can talk about that idea of a priestly vocation. And I said, the problem is that a vocation, vocation comes from vocare, I know that much, and it means a calling. I haven't heard a calling. And in the middle of St. Peter's Square at about 10.30 at night, he said, Charlie Moore, <laughs> I want you to be a priest. He said, did you hear that? And I said, I did, how could I not? He's got this booming voice I told you before. He said, well, you just got the calling. That was your calling. He said, I couldn't make it any clearer. I thought about it for a while. And I agreed. I agreed. Well, he got me a bishop. The bishop of the Archbishop of Guadalajara, Mexico. Right? He knew, a lot, he knew bishops from all over the world. He said, the Archbishop of Guadalajara... Uh, is a good, good, good man, a very saintly man. He said, let me talk to him. He said, what I'm going to propose to him is that you stay here in Rome and work. And if everything goes well, you'll work with me in the Secretary of State. Just stay here. Right? He said, we'll make a team. He said, I always wanted to have an American friend. 
right? He said, and deep down, secretly, you've always wanted to have an Italian friend. Everybody wants an Italian friend. (laughs) Anyway, that's that's where it started. So I was ordained in 1977 in the Basilica of Saints John and Paul in Rome Mm. uh, with Mario Marini, uh, Archbishop at that time, later on Cardinal Gagnon. And Pericles Felice was the was the the main uh, uh, the main celebrant for the ordination, and my parents were there. It was a beautiful a beautiful time, a beautiful everything. Mario and I left the Mexican college and we moved into the Lebanese residence on the Janiculo, uh, and it was good. Everything was good. At about the same time, nineteen seventy five, I guess it was. I met Archbishop Gagnon. I met him through Mario. Gagnon was the rector of the Canadian, Pontifical Canadian College. I don't know if your listeners are aware of this, but most uh, Western Christian nations have a college in Rome for their clergy to study. When, when I say college, it really is a residence. There are, no, there are no courses to speak of that are given in, in those places. It's a, it's a residence but they call them colleges. And then the, the, the residents of the colleges go out to the universities uh, to study theology, philosophy, psychology, whatever it is they're studying. Uh, anyway, uh, I met Gagnon. He was the rector of the Pontifical Canadian College. And at that time, in 1974, and I knew this through Mario and the Secretary of State, Benelli had been... Uh, summoned by the Pope, two cardinals brought to Pope Paul VI's attention a very troubling document on Anibale Bunini. And the I can't wait to talk was, about this. This is great. I love it. Do you want to go here? I mean, I well, can go, I want to go here. I mean, we, okay. So just there? everybody watching Bugnini is the guy who beginning in 1951 started reforming Holy Week and under John the 23rd and Paul the six redid all seven sacraments, rewrote everything, the Novus Ordo, the new right for baptism, new right for confirmation, new right for Holy orders, everything and uh, he is very much the architect of the modern liturgical experience that most people experience. Unless you go to the traditional Latin Mass, you're you're in there praying Bugnini's liturgy. Is that right, Father? Exactly, exactly. You know what, Taylor? I have to tell you this. I heard this the other day, and I thought it was brilliant. I, I started laughing. I laugh at brilliance. It it it, it gets me. Somebody referred to the Tridentine Mass. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard this. He said, "The Mass for grown-ups." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, they came, these two cardinals went to the Pope, and the cardinals' names were uh, Cardinal Staffa, S T A F F A, who was the head of the Segnatura Apostolica, the Supreme Court of the Catholic mm-hmm. Church, and Cardinal Odi, O D D I, uh, Silvio Odi, who was a, a a great man. He was later on uh, in charge of the clergy, the Congregation for the Clergy. Those two cardinals 
Don't ask me how, because I don't know how. There are many theories how they got this document, but they did get the document. It was given to Cardinal Staffa as, as, uh, as uh, Supreme Court Justice. Mm-hmm. He asked Interpol and a couple other private sector investigation teams to investigate it before he brought it to the Pope's uh, attention. He wanted it authenticated. He wanted to know, is, is this, did somebody make this up? Was this planted? What, what, what is it? It was authenticated. And what was authenticated was his membership in Freemasonry, in Italian Freemasonry. Okay. Now, it's a big deal. It's a, I mean, people say, why do you go to Latin Mass? I said, well, I don't want to pray the prayers of Freemasons. I want to pray the prayers of saints, church fathers. And Taylor, let me put it this way, too. Let me just tell, tell this to most of your audience, most of your audience, a great number anyway, are Americans. Hmm. And I don't think Americans understand what that means, the Masonic Lodge and Freemasonry. Uh, at least I didn't. I didn't when I got to Rome first. I thought they were uh, funny little men who, who, who ran around little cars with fezes on their heads yeah. during parades. The Shriners. This yep. was it. That's that was my that was that was all I had to, to know about Freemasons. In Europe, Freemasonry is a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. It's very serious. The Freemasons toppled governments. Uh, they are they were behind every every major revolution, including the Italian Revolution, that uh, that uh, that uh, ended up losing the papal states and this that and the other the unification of Italy, the French Revolution. There they they have a whole that's a whole other program to get into that. I don't want to do that. I think you've already covered that. You've covered that. You've also covered it in your book very well. Infiltration, but. The point was that these two cardinals then had, they brought the documentation to the Pope and said, Holy Father, there, this is the man who's revamping the entire liturgy and the, 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 and the new mass. And, and, and anyway, there was a lot of, there was a lot of anti-Bunini sentiment already in Rome, mm-hmm. but this proof was not there. They brought it to the Pope. They brought it to the Pope, and, and this is before 1974, okay? Okay. But in 1974, the Pope, Pope Paul VI, for whatever reason, he was moved at that time. He called in Benelli and asked Benelli his opinion about doing a visitation, a papal visitation not only about the affair of Bunini, because when, they, when he got that documentation, Bunini was ousted from the Vatican, yeah. right? Almost immediately. So that was in, that was in 74 because uh, he was promoted to, uh, to a nuncio in Iran, uh, uh, in, I believe in January, 1975. So he knew about it at the end of 1974. He was taken out. People ask, why wasn't he just fired? Very good question. Uh, the reason he wasn't fired is because I wasn't Pope. Right? <laughs> that's, that's really the reason. And a number of people weren't Pope, that's all. 
the Vatican has its own diplomacy and ways of dealing with things to get rid of people. They promoted people. This is much of the problem uh, that we're facing still today. Yeah, today. Uh, eliminate, to pr promote, to eliminate, right? Yep. Well, that brings on its own, a whole consequence of its own problems, mm -hmm. doing, yep. operating that way. Anyway, they got him out of the picture. Father, may I, may I interject a question? I don't want to get you sure. off track. This is fascinating. No, no, no. But So I, I've heard two things in my research, and this is from my own research, writing Infiltration and reading your books. But there is the bringing of notarized, proved documents to Paul VI. But there's also the story of the briefcase, and I've heard a, the Dominican who found the briefcase that belonged to Bugnini and opened it, and there's Freemasonic documents inside can you explain these two stories and are they both legitimate what's going on in, with bugnini on let me this? just put it this way taylor they they both may be legitimate yeah they're not they're not mutually exclusive let me right. put it that way uh, who if if they were found in a briefcase i've that story often too then those were the documents that were given to cardinal staffa right all right I don't, as I, as I said when I was beginning this, I don't know their origins. I don't know exactly how they got to him. I do know that they got to him. They got to Cardinal Staffa. They were on his desk. He picked up the documents, read them through carefully, and started the investigation. The investigation took almost a year. His own investiga investigation make sure that they were legit, right? Um, they were so legit that... Bunini was was ousted, mm -hmm. and the Pope that shook him to the point that he asked Benelli uh, to organize a visitation, a papal visitation of the entire Roman Curia. Right now, this is one big deal. Big deal. This is what, what the Pope is saying: is I want my own government investigated from A to Z. So you're talking about more or less, uh, uh, I don't know, let me, let me say 600 people, 800 people who formed that government, that central government of the church in all of its capacities, the, the Roman Curia itself, the committees, bup, 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 everything. Now the, the, the Benelli absolutely agreed. Yes, Holy Father, we'll do that to find who would be the visitor. And that visitor is to represent the Pope himself in the visitation, right? Well, <laughs> Benelli, Benelli suggested, he said, <clears throat> he said, I think I know the man for it. He said, the man would be Edward Gagnon, Monsignor Gagnon, who's already a bishop, Bishop Gagnon. When we say Monsignor, it almost also means bishop, all right? It's not just a, the, the, the title of a Monsignor for honor. So he said, Monsignor Gagnon is the head of the, uh, the, the, pre, the rector of the Canadian College. He said, Benelli said, he's an honest man. He's a knowledgeable man. He has a degree in canon law and in moral theology. He was a professor for years. He was Bishop of Alberta, Canada for, I think, three years. And now he's rector here of the college, the Canadian college. And, and Benelli said one other thing. He said to the Holy Father, he said, and he believes in God. <laughs> huh? 
And it's remarkable to me because we're in 2024. We, we, we've got Bergoglio, we've got Fiducia Supacons, Laudato C, Amoris Letizia. You know, we're on the other side of Ben the 16th resigning and everything that went on under John Paul II and Marcial Maciel and all these scandals. And already in 1974, you're telling us, this is what I really want the audience to take in. In 1974, already at the Vatican, he believes in God is already noteworthy on a resume. Not 2024, 1974. That's right. I wasn't even born in 1974. Remember this too. You have to remember this too. It's like a jeweler who's dealing with diamonds and precious gems and everything else. He's dealing with them all day, all night, day in, day out, for years and years and years. He begins to mistreat them. Here, here, take a look at these, take a look at those. Instead of taking out the velvet and putting one one out at a time, a whole handful go on a glass counter. Why? Because he's lost his love for what, he's lost his first love. Yeah. Right? He lost it and along the way. There are many priests, and this is this is a problem. This is a problem that has to be, I really wish we were dealing with problems like this rather than the nonsense that's going on today. Problems of, of, of priests losing their faith. This, this is true, it, and it's, it's, it's a real problem. And especially careerists who lose their faith. They lose their faith in exchange for a higher career. And this is, this is, this is uh, it's horrible. And all of a sudden, these people, look at the, I mean, the irony is, 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 is horrific. These kinds of people are are the superiors of people who believe in God. Yeah. (laughs) This is what you're ending up with in many cases, right? Not always, but in many cases. Let me say this too. In the Vatican, in my years working there, five years working there and, and, and nine years living in Rome, I met saints and sinners. I met some real saints working in the Vatican, seriously, devout, devout men who were committed to their work. It's like, it's like I, every time I gave a retreat to give a retreat to, especially to the Carmelite nuns or, or cloistered nuns, I always begin by saying, there are two kinds of nuns that I've encountered. Saints, every convent has their saints and their saint makers. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right? Well, you had that in the Vatican. You had saints and you had saint makers. Um, anyway, Cardinal Gagnon was called in, commissioned by the Pope to begin this investigation. This was one big deal. Believe me, Rome talked about nothing else other than the Gagnon investigation. It's funny today, you mentioned it to people, they don't know what you're talking about, but it was, it went on for three years. Cardinal Gagnon, or Archbishop Gagnon at the time, talked to everybody who worked in the Vatican, everyone, from top to bottom. And he came up with a lot of incredible conclusions after three years. Um, One of the major problems that he discovered immediately was in the Congregation for Bishops. Mm. Why is that important? 
uh, again, for, for people who don't know exactly the, the, the structure of the church or how it works, bishops, bishops are pivotal to, to our Catholic faith. They are the successors of the apostles. Whether they're worthy or not worthy, that's not the point. They are the successors of the, of the apostles. We began with 12 apostles, one who wasn't, who wasn't worthy at all. Okay, so they began with unworthy candidates also. But the man who creates those bishops is the most important man for many of us in the Catholic Church. Because at that time, during the 1970s, a number of things were happening. Paul VI had just put out a decree that every bishop had to resign or present his resignation at age 75. Now, again, let me explain to, 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 to the people who are listening what that means. Prior to that, a bishop was a bishop if he lived to be 107. He was the bishop of his diocese. He was not removed. He didn't resign. He didn't retire unless, unless uh, 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 he was absolutely incapacitated. Only for that reason would, would his resignation be taken. Be, why? Because he was a church father. Mm -hmm. The bishop was the bishop. I mean, these were serious things, right? It's like a pope not resigning. It, it right. just wasn't done. Or a king. Because once you're in, you're in you're, that, that's it, right? Now, Pope Paul VI decided with this aggiornamento, this updating of everything, he bought into an awful lot of the philosophy of the world, and rather than rather than the church teaching the world, the church decided after the Second Vatican Council to learn from the world. This has been the major problem. This has been the major problem. We don't need to work to, to learn from the world. We know what the world is about. The, the world needs to learn. Right? Well, Pope Paul VI decided to modernize the church in this sense that when a man got to be 75 years old, that was old enough, he should resign. Now, it was up to the Pope to whether to accept his resignation or not. He could go up to age 80, right? If, if the Pope wanted to keep him in there. What does this do? This meant that the majority of bishops were being changed. The entire episcopate was being remade in the 1970s. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I wish somebody would look it up. There was uh, an, uh, an article, an, an interview that Time Magazine gave to Nuncio, at that time it was called the Apostolic Delegate Jadot, uh, a Belgian, uh, uh, a, <laughs> amazing, Bel the only son of a Belgian um, diamond miner in, from Africa. The man was worth millions and millions of dollars. They made him uh, nuncio to the United States or delegate, apostolic delegate to the United States. He gave, when he resigned, when he left, he gave uh, an interview to Time magazine and his greatest achievement, according to him, was having left the United States with 70, it was either 75 or 78 new liberal bishops. He was very proud of this. Right? They were liberal bishops. Right? Well, that was the beginning of the end. Thank you. That was the beginning right. of the end. All of a sudden, you, you have now these men who are CEOs, 
because many of them are, are more CEOs, you know, that than bishops. They're not worried about their flocks. They're working right. worried about other things, stocks and bonds, right? right. And, and, and finances. What they did was change the entire Episcopalism, not just in the United States, in the entire world. Right. And in the entire world, new liberal bishops were put in place. And this changed everything. Now, who was the man in charge of creating bishops? One man. His name was Sebastian Cardinal Baggio, B-A-G-G-I-O. Um, I call him the bag man. I, I, was in, I was in his presence. Let me just tell you this, uh, uh, Taylor. I was in his presence one time in an elevator with him, up, going up to the congregation uh, for, for bishops, actually, to see somebody else, not him. He and I were the only people in the elevator going up. It might have been me. I'm sure it was. I felt freezing cold, and it was in July. There was just, there was, I, I couldn't wait to get out of the elevator. There was something, there was something, there was a wickedness. I was going to, I was going to say evil, but that maybe that's, no, I don't think that's too harsh a word. It's not too mm -hmm. harsh a word. Something evil about him, and you felt it. Mm. Uh, he was the one in charge of making all of the bishops. Well, lo and behold, in 1975, Cardinal Gagnon, it comes to Cardinal Gagnon, the proof that Baggio also belongs to Italian Freemasonry. Now, just so you've got, you've got the I'm guy saying. writing the liturgy, Freemason. Now <laughs> you, you get go. the guy, all the, all the bishops of the world have to resign at 75. And now we've got the guy replacing everyone, Freemasonic. I mean, just get rid of, I'm sorry, a phone sure. call. Yes, that's exactly it. Uh, as, as, as Stanley once said to, to Oliver, a fine cuddle of fish, hmm. right? This is, this is where we're in. This yeah. is the situation we're in. It was a real mess. And of course, Bajo is naming liberal bishops to Japan, to, to, to France, to this. Everybody who held any idea of Catholic tradition, orthodoxy in that sense, was not a candidate. Mm -hmm. they, they were gone. New liberal, bup, 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 implement the changes of Vatican II. Now, you could ask a very good question. It is a very good question, and I'm sure you've asked it before. If Pope Paul VI knew who and what Bunini was, and ousted him and sent him to Iraq to get rid of him. Why didn't he re-examine everything that Bunini had had done? The new mass, the new sacraments. Is it? Right. I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe he was afraid. Maybe it would be admitting too much. Maybe they were too advanced. I don't. I don't know. But he did not. He did not. So we're stuck with this. We're stuck with this. Gagnon found that discovered this and Gagnon went immediately with that discovery to the Holy Father. Right? Immediately. And and said, there's something very wrong and very serious, and it has to be. He said, I haven't finished with the investigation, but I'm telling you right now, 
This has to be addressed yesterday. Right? Good. Gagnon is still living at the Canadian College, and his rooms are all of a sudden ransacked. He's getting death threats, serious one, serious ones at his office. And uh, it's also his office in San Calisto. You know, the offices in San Calisto yep. next to uh, Santa Maria in Trastevere. There's a yep. big Vatican office building in San Calisto uh, for the Committee for the Family. And he was also the president of the Committee of the Family. His offices were ransacked at night. They were broken into looking for his looking for his work. Right. So Gagnon gets in touch with Marini with Mario Marini. And he's, he tells this to Marini and Marini says, well, why don't you come and live with us? So with Charlie and me, come and live with us. We're the only two. Pre he said, well, <laughs> he started laughing. He said, we do have someone else in the house who would ensure your safety to the utmost degree. He said, and that, he said, well, we just happened to get the Syrian Archbishop of Jerusalem as a permanent resident in the house. Who is the Syrian Archbishop of Jerusalem? His name is Hilarion Hilario Capucci. Who is he? He had just been released from Israeli prison. He was charged, tried, and convicted of smuggling arms to the Palestinian Liberation Organization while Archbishop of Jerusalem. He used his car that had diplomatic plates to transport arms to them. So the Israelis put him in jail and Syria, he was from Syria, Syria sent planes over, I believe it was every Thursday afternoon to drop bombs around the prison as protest that he was in prison, right? So finally, the Israelis, you know, it sounds like I'm going all over the place with this, right? I'm right. sorry, but it's not an easy story to tell. The Israelis got sick and tired of this, and they got into the house. So I came home from the Gregorian University one night and could not get into our house because there were protests outside. <laughs> I mean, hundreds, hundreds of people outside of our house. We lived in a, in a little... Uh, uh, a back street that was always a quiet little place in a beautiful little neighborhood, right? Couldn't get through. The Italian police were there. Israeli agents were there. Syrian agents from the Syrian government, from the embassy were there. And after the whole crowd dispersed the night he came, those three, at least two of those, there was a van and a car, never left the area. Mm. The Israelis had a van there watching every every movie made. And the Syrians had a van there watching every move the Israelis were making. So we lived in the safest place, the safest house in all of Europe, in all of Europe. We had guards with machine guns standing outside the door, right? So Gagnon's and Mario Marini said to Gagnon, you want safety? Nobody can kill you in our house. You can't even get in without being frisked. <laughs> so Gagnon moved in with us to, for his own for his own safety. It was great, and we we lived together for for two years, and it was fantastic. He finished his study 
And then uh, when he was finished, he asked me to drive him. I helped him. Uh, people, people think that I was his secretary and I know all of the dossier, everything. I don't. I don't. He was, a, he was very private. He was very professional about that. But he asked me at the end to help him file things because he had three different sections uh, uh, of, of the dossier that he had. It wasn't just one with three parts to help file. And then to would I drive him to the audience he had with Pope Paul VI to hand in these documents, the result of his three-year study of the Roman Curia. Now, so what he's going to do is tell the Pope, here are the people who are working for you. Right. These are the people you put in power. Uh, and, and, and that's it. So I, I said, absolutely. So I drove him. Uh, uh, he's got the file on his, on his lap. We drove him uh, around the, the uh, uh, I can still see where we're going down the, down the Via Aurelia, the Aurelia Vaticani, the Mure. And we get down to, uh, uh, to the Holy Office. We go through, we get into port, we get into the uh, San Damaso. I park the car, Gagnon is in Cassig, uh, uh, Zucchetta. Do you, do you know what Zucchetta means? The Zucchetto? Little, little pumpkin. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah, a little pumpkin. <laughs> it looks like a little, it's got but a little it's, stem but it's also, on it. Yeah. yeah, but in Spanish it's called Solideo. Oh, God alone. Which means it comes off only for God. Right. Only at the, at the consecration, mm. right? Anyway, we're, we're up there. He's all in regalia and he's got his study and he goes up the elevator and I wait for him to come down. He's going to see Pope Paul and hand in this dust, this, this whole result of the investigation. And he's convinced that there's going to be sweeping changes in the Vatican. He's convinced of this. <laughs> I mean, so was I. If you're, if you're the one who's doing the, the investigation and you're an archbishop and you're convinced, who am I not to be convinced? Right? He came down after an audience with the Pope. Desanimado. How do you say that? Discouraged, very discouraged. He got into the car. I said, well, what, what happened? He said, I handed everything to the Pope on his desk. I said, here are the results. Here's the results. Here are the documents for, the, for this whole study. And here are my recommendations in a smaller, they were a thinner thing. The Pope pushed everything back to him. And he said, Is this Paul this is the Sixth? The, the, the Pope said to him, I, I, I can't deal with this. Leave it for my successor. Gagnon is, Gagnon is a faithful Catholic and, and a papist to the bone through and through. But he came down and said, Leave it for his successor. I mean, what kind of a thing is that? This take, it's taken me three years. Half the people I know no longer speak to me. <laughs> right. I mean, the divisions and everything else, I mean, just for asking questions. Well, to cut him a little bit of slack, this was when Aldo Moro was kidnapped and brutally murdered, tortured and murdered. And Aldo Moro was, was the prime minister of, of, of Italy, head of the Democristiano, the Democracia Cristiana, 
Christiana and a very close friend of Paul VI. They were close friends. Uh, his kidnapping, torture, and murder really took a toll on Paul VI. Anyway, Gagnon is down in the car again with the dossier, with all of the, the documentation. And he's explaining this to me, and he's not happy. Let me just put it that way. Mm -hmm. We drive back home. Uh, and two months later, two and a half months later, the Pope is dead. Paul VI. Paul VI. On, on August 6th, 1978. All right. I'm not going to bore you with the whole detail of the of the election. You know, there was an election. There were two candidates at that time. Gagnon told me and Marini told me. This is before the, the conclave. He said, it's, it's either going to be, he said, as much as I would like Benelli to be elected, he said, Benelli has a lot of enemies. He said, it's between... Luciani and Wojtyla. I said, Wojtyla? What, what is a Wojtyla? Right? <laughs> oh, he's a, a Polish cardinal from, uh, from, from Krakow, very good man, good friend of Benelli's. Bop, 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 bop. And I said, well, how do you know this? Because Benelli is going to propose them as candidates. First, Luciani. And if Luciani doesn't fly in the conclave, they don't vote for him, then the candidate will be Wojtyla. Fine. Exactly th that happened. The problem was this. During the conclave, and I'll try to keep this brief. I know I'm going all over the place, and I'm sorry for that. But during the conclave, there emerged various candidates. One of them was Cardinal Joseph Siri of Genoa. Uh, another one was... Who would have been Sebastian considered very conservative. Sebastian Baggio, oh, who, who by, the Freemason. Who, by the way, Baggio presented himself as a conservative. Mm. He was very, he was very, very close to the Opus Dei. They, they, they had him at all of their celebrations, and he was blessing everything and loved, loved very. Yes, yes, oh yes, we have to do everything by the book. In the meantime, he's he's destroying the church with the nominations. He's 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 sending out his new bishops, right? Anyway. You've got three candidates, Siri of Genoa, Baggio, mm -hmm. and Benelli. Well, this is where, this, <laughs> Taylor, this is where we conservatives shoot ourselves in the foot, okay? Often we do this to ourselves. Siri saw that he couldn't win. There, there was a, there was a, they got to a place but that was it. it you know what's win. funny? It I hear it on your phone, and I hear it on my phone. Every time you say Siri, my phone's trying to do iPhone oh, Siri. And yours, yeah. <laughs> and I'm over here trying to figure out how to is turn off, it turn it off. Isn't that funny? I heard it on I my phone, it, and then I heard it on yours. Never had that happen before. <laughs> no. I was like, "What is going on?" Wow, that's good. That's something. You live and you learn. You anyway, live and you learn. Okay, so well, Siri. Couldn't win. He he could not win. It was the only received he received a, the the greatest amount of votes, but it stopped there. Nobody else was going over to his side. At the same time, Baggio and might I, might I interject another votes. question? Do you believe Siri was came close to or was did receive a ballot in 1958? There's a big conspiracy no. on that. You don't think so? No. 
Okay. No, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why later, but, okay. but no, absolutely not. Uh, wishful thinking. Okay. And I, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it have been wonderful? Yes. Wouldn't it have been wonderful? Yes. It really would have been. And he was Pius XII's candidate. Exactly. And I'll, t- and I'll tell you why there wasn't okay. more made of that. But, but here's the thing. Uh, you've got Siri of Genoa. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this. And, I, and if you think I know how to turn this thing off, you've got another guest coming. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Just keep, ro- just keep saying Siri. I think I, my phone's figured out that we're just saying it over and over. It doesn't care. Good. The, the, the phones are, are tired of us. That's good. Yeah. More intelligent than we are. And Benelli is losing votes to Baggio, mm. head of the Congregation for Bishops. This is not good. No. Seeing this, seeing this, Benelli says, gentlemen, let me propose a candidate that I would give all of my votes to. And I think most of you would give your votes to Cardinal Luciani of Venice. Well, people looked around. He was president of the Italian uh, Episcopal Conference, uh, a well-educated man, a humble man, saintly man. People knew him. He won the election. That was done because you. this is where I say we, we, we conservatives and, uh, often shoot ourselves in the foot. Rather than give up his own votes, he would have let a Freemason become Pope. <laughs> Rather than, Siri, all, all Siri had yeah. to do was say, you know what, let me give some votes to Benelli. He wouldn't do that. Hmm. So the only thing, the solution was Benelli, out of, out, of, out of his hat, pulled that rabbit. And it was agreed on, everyone agreed on, and he was a great candidate. And I believe he would have made a good Pope. All right? Uh, came down to this. Every Pope, John Paul II did not do this, and we'll keep that in our memory uh, to look at the, the problems that he himself caused himself by not doing this. Every Pope, when a Pope is elected, he decides his new government. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we do, like we do it. Uh, can you imagine Trump winning the election and and ac- accepting Biden's uh, uh, Secretary of State? No, it's insane, right? Yeah. All right. Well, so the first thing that that the new Pope John Paul he took the name John Paul for Pope Pope John the twenty third and Paul the sixth. Good. Uh, the first thing that he did was he asked Benelli to be his Secretary of State. Now, from Florence, Benelli is a cardinal form. That would have been a team. That would have been a team like you've never seen. Yeah. Right? Benelli said that he would. Now, you've got Villo. Who's we haven't still talked about Villo. For the time being. Yeah. Villo handed in his resignation, oh. but it hasn't been accepted yet. Okay. Because Benelli put, Benelli put a caveat. He put a condition. He said, yes, as soon as you get rid of Baggio. Ah, as soon as you get rid of Baggio, get Baggio out of the uh, out of the uh, uh, congregation for bishops, get him out, and I'll come in. But you have to. And Pope John Paul the First said said to him, "Why don't you do it? <laughs> you you Baggio was a, was a holy terror. Yeah. He was a strong man. It's no nonsense. 
He took no enemies, right? And, and Benelli said, it's up to you. This has to be the first mark of your pontificate. You show business that way. You'll get respect. You know, it's, there's an awful lot of, 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 uh, of sort of mafia undertones in all of this, right? Yeah. You want to get respect. You want to be a man of yes. respect. Right? Yeah. So good. Well, how to get rid of Bajo? What to do? I've explained before that to eliminate, you promote in many of the Vatican circumstances. Well, they were going to promote Baggio. How is this going to be done? Why are they such oh, yellow-bellied, <laughs> pussy-footing cowards? No, incredible. It's incredible. Yes, it's incredible. So, but the Holy Father does this. He calls in Gagnon, and Benelli said, call in Gagnon immediately, get that report. He said, you'll see exactly who's who and what's what. Get the report. Again, I drove... <laughs> They drove Gagnon back to the Vatican. Again, he goes upstairs, hands in the report. The Pope studied that report very thoroughly. They say that he died with a copy of, of, of the Imitation of Christ. Uh, believe me, if anything, if anything, he died with some of the pages of, of uh, Cardinal Gagnon's proposed changes to the Curia. Right. 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 Anyway, uh, it's decided that the Pope decides what he would do is send Baggio to Venice. He's a cardinal, so you can't mistreat a cardinal. Send him to Venice. He's getting his due place. And in Venice, Luciani has auxiliary bishops and monsignors who run the curry and everything else. They could they could take care of Baggio. He'd have him he'd have him surrounded by the enemy right. and controlled. Right. Uh, Pope Pius X did the same thing. He had two cardinals he didn't he didn't trust at all, and he gave them positions in the Vatican so that in every procession into St. Peter's Basilica, any any occasion for they were right in front of him. And somebody said, "But you don't. They bother you. Why do you keep them so close?" He said. I keep them so close, I want to be watching exactly every move they make. That's why they're close, yeah. right? So the thing was to send Baggio out of the Congregation for Bishops to Venice. So the Holy Father calls Baggio. Now, and you've got to imagine that Baggio got wind of this, okay? Because things don't happen in the Vatican without, you've got people running around spying and everything else. It's, it's incredible. The Holy Father picks up the phone, John Paul the, the, the first, and calls Baggio directly in the Congregation for Bishops and said, I would like to see you. And Baggio answers him that he was busy. Right? Now you've got you've got to have you pardon me, but you've got to have a pair to be able to say to, say to the Pope, I, I, excuse me, I'm busy. Yeah. You know, what's the matter with you? I've got things to do. And this man, this humble man said, then this afternoon, still busy. He said, then this evening. He said, you, don't, you tell me you're gonna be busy after eight o'clock at night? <laughs> what are you busy with eight o'clock at night, right? And so Bajo had to go and he did go. He arrived at eight o'clock at night. Bajo entered the papal apartments, sat down, started talking to the Pope and it was proposed 
One supposes, because that's the reason he was called there, that he take Venice. Baggio evidently didn't like this because he started screaming. He started yelling at the Pope. Uh, There are two Swiss guards who attested to this, who are standing right outside the door. Didn't hear what was being said, but they heard the, the... they heard the, the, the loud voice of Baggio. That went on and on and on, and he refused. He wasn't going anywhere. Who knows what he said to the Pope and what insulting things he said to him. Uh, you've got to remember something else, too. Just let me, let me, I forgot to mention something else. When Baggio is naming all of the bishops of the world, he's also naming all the cardinals of the world. Mm. Because he's the one who decides who's going to be the Archbishop of New York, right. the Archbishop of Mexico City, the Archbishop of, of this, of Quebec, up, 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 up. and all of these automatically become cardinals, right? So he had, in that election, he had a lot of friends. And Baggio also spent, listen to this, he spent his vacations, his summer vacations, visiting Asia and Africa, every place that there was a cardinal. <laughs> spent two or three days. So when they came to Rome, they had a friend in Rome. Right. No, no, no. He was foolish. He was not. Stupid. He was not. Anyway, he refused. He refused. He went out in a huff, slammed the door behind him. The Pope was dead two or three hours afterwards. Now, Amazing. what is the initial? Amazing. What is the initial? The initial question is, was he murdered? And I gave you the answer of Cardinal Gagnon himself the following Sunday. He said there are many ways to murder a man. I believe, could he have been poisoned? Could he have, yes, any of, that is, any of that is possible. There's no question. Any of that is possible. It's happened in history. Let me put it that way. But I believe he, he had, he just, he had a heart attack. He had a heart attack from, from, from the screaming and the yelling. Hmm. Uh, that was it. He was found dead in the, in the, the next morning, but he had been dead for hours. Yeah. So I, I think it was the acceleration of, of, of heart. And this is the Pope. This man had but, but 30 quick, days. He was, he was in his 60s. He was. he was in his 60s, wasn't he? John Paul I? Uh, yes. Yeah. He was not that old. No, he was not that old. Yeah. He was not that old. And, and, and Benelli was 58. All right. So, I mean, these are, these are, this is a whole generation of, I mean, there's a lot of controversy about Benelli. People think that he was a liberal. He was not. He was not. He had to deal with Paul VI, who was a died, who was a Francophile and a liberal. That's mm-hmm. it. But he had to deal with them. Right. But the Pope, John Paul I, knows he's Pope. He understands who he is. This is a man whose life was devoted to the Holy Father, to the Holy See, right? To be mistreated by a cardinal that way, this is outrageous. This is outrageous. And I'm sure he took that to heart. I'm sure he took that to heart. I'm sure it, 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 it hurt him tremendously. And I believe, I, believe that, uh, I believe that that's what he died of. The fact is that he died. Mm-hmm. The next day, look, had you had an audience with the Pope in the morning, the day before, 
and you were being interviewed on television or radio. Uh, well, Dr. Dr. Marshall, uh, what do you think? Uh, what's your opinion of the, the death of the Pope? You would say, well, I, I saw him yesterday morning. He looked fine to me, this and the other, right? That would right. be your reaction, right? As a matter of fact, they were, Vatican Radio was interviewing people in St. Peter's Square. Mm-hmm. And one of them was Cardinal Colombo, who, who they got an interview from him. And he said, I was with the Holy Father last week. He looked perfectly healthy to me. He would this and the other thing. Well, they get Baggio, who's going out of the congregation for bishops, and ask him, your eminence, your reaction to the Holy Father's death. Baggio just answers. Baggio didn't say, I was the last man to see him alive. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> but he could have said anything. The only thing he did say was, what a blow. What do you say? What do you say? Oh, what a what a blow! What a what a yeah. shock! What a, oh, and and grumbled and 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 this is it. That was his reaction. Even though twelve now, hours before he was screaming at the man. That's right. That's right. That's right. He forgot to mention that. Right. Anyway, Gagnon had already heard about the argument when I asked him, "Was the Pope murdered?" And that's when he answered, there are many ways of murdering someone, right? You don't have to poison or you don't have to have a knife. You don't have to have a gun. There are many ways of doing it. And one of the things that this is going to sound absolutely off the wall, but it doesn't matter. I've I've been accused of of being off the wall before. When I was a kid, I saw an Alfred Hitchcock movie. And it's, it's, uh, I I wish I could remember the name, but I never can. But it's about a barber in in a small town was accused by the mayor of having had an affair with this woman and having murdered the woman. And the barber was taken to prison and executed, right? Next scene, 20 years later, a young man comes into town. He's a barber, goes to the barbershop, and fine, he's there. One day, and he's waiting, you see him anxious. It was played by Peter Fonda, by the way. Peter Fonda played the part. Uh, one day the mayor comes in for a haircut and a shave into the barber shop. The older barber leaves. The newer barber puts the, the towels on the man's face and everything else, and then closes, draws the, the, the shades and puts the clothes sign on. And he starts talking to the mayor. The mayor was the one who had had the affair with the woman and who had, had killed the, the, the man 20 years before and him executed. It turns out that the barber, the new barber, is the son of the man who was executed, right? And so while he's shaving the, the, the mayor, he's telling him what he's going to do to him <laughs> because he killed his father and his father was innocent, Mr. Mayor, just as you and I both know, and he's shaving him and he's under his throat with the, with the razor. The mayor has a heart attack and dies mm. in the story. Alfred Hitchcock was a genius with right. these things. He was so Catholic. He, that's that's how he killed him. Right. He didn't, but he didn't have to. He didn't have to slit his throat. That's what I'm saying. There are many ways of killing a man, and the mayor had a heart attack, and that's the first thing that I thought about when when Cardinal Gagnon came out with that. So that's the story. That's the story of the of murder in the thirty third degree. Thirty third degree, of course, being the the the, the Masonic. The Masonic uh, 
participation in the whole thing. Taylor, where, where you and I are, are very much in, a, in agreement, I've read your book. I read your book twice. I read your book twice, and then I bought it on, uh, on audio, and I listened to it again. I agree with everything you're saying, what you're, what you're, what you're, what you're, except for the Bajo part. You, you have to insert that, okay? Okay. Very important. Yeah. What you're saying is exactly what we're living today. Mm. The reason, the, and, and I'm not, I'm not uh, we say in, in Spanish, I'm not putting cream on your tacos here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just complimenting you because, because it's a good thing to do politically. I'm telling you, your book is very good. It's about the infiltration that happened in the church strongly since the Second Vatican Council, all through the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, right? This, this really happened. There was a major infiltration. I just explained the part of the bishops remaking the entire episcopacy of the world up radically overnight. Th that happened, right? Uh, you've got all of these changes that happen. Nobody's being called in on, on, on serious charges, and there were serious charges. Yeah. Nothing. John Paul II, okay, so we've got another election. The same thing happens. The same thing happens, and Benelli comes up with the next solution, Wojtyla. I give my votes to Wojtyla. Good, good. So, you still got Villo as Secretary of State. John Paul II tells everyone, listen to this, you want to talk about a mistake in, in policy? Says to everyone in the Roman Curia, everyone in his government, stay right where you are. Stay right where you are. You can, you can imagine Trump saying that to, to, the, to the Biden administration people. Stay right where you are. We're going to work together. Right. Right. Okay. Well, he did. He confirmed Villo as Secretary of State. Baggio still continued in the Congregation for Bishops. It's as if nothing happened. Benelli goes to see him and says, Holy Father. Now, this was Benelli's candidate. Right. Benelli says, Holy Father, from Benelli is now the Cardinal of Florence. He said, You have to call in Gagnon and get his report and read his report. Housekeeping needs to be done immediately. Immediately. Well, I'm planning a trip to Mexico. Yeah, well, yeah, you're planning a trip to Mexico. I don't want to get on the man's case, but here's the thing. John Paul II made 104 trips during his pontificate. What people don't realize is that each one of those trips cost two and three months of preparation. He didn't just get on a plane and start going. He wanted to know who is the bishop of this place, who is the bishop of that place, how many dioceses there are, seminaries, hospitals, blah, blah, blah. He wanted to know everything. And many of the times, learn to give speeches in a foreign language, a language he didn't know, right? All of this. So his whole world were those trips. And I'll give him this. I'm sure that he was convinced that what he was doing was God's will and he was out to evangelize the world. He was to call the world to Christ. I believe he believed that. The problem was 
that while the cat's away, Mm -hmm. the mice, or in this case, rats, will play. And they certainly did. Now, the good thing was, I shouldn't say the good thing was, let me just say what happened. Cardinal Below died. He had lung cancer. The man smoked. Do you know what those French cigarettes, Galois? No. I mean, you could die. You could die just from being in the presence. The Secretary of State, the times that I had to go to the Secretary of State, you knew exactly where Below was. Yeah. He was a chain smoker, and he smoked those. They're so heavily perfumed. They're obnoxious. They're horrible. Galois. Uh. Anyway, he gonna, died of lung cancer. I'm going to put Velo on the screen. There he is. There's v- Cardinal Velo. Can you see him, Father? There he is. I can see him. Yes. Yes. We finally have we have Velo between us. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> This is what we have in common. Isn't that lovely? He was French. <laughs> anyway, right? he was a, he was a very French, very yep. French. Paul the sixth had uh, uh, a fascination for French philosophy, for the French language, everything French. Uh, yep. Anyway, so this was Paul the sixth, uh, Secretary of State, and he was uh, as I, as I say, just not not a nice man, you, and you didn't want to cross him. You didn't want to cross him. Anyway. Cardinal Gagnon, Archbishop Gagnon, brought up the dossier again to John Paul II. And he said, Holy Father, you must change Bajo from the Congregation of Bishops immediately and your Secretary of State. Well, the Pope decided not to change the Secretary of State because he was in the last stages of cancer. So he, he wanted him to die with a certain dignity and he didn't want him to be stressed with that. So when he died, he died, the Pope named Casaroli to succeed Villo rather than Benelli. Big mistake. Big mistake, big mistake. And he continued on his travels. Well, they were fine. They ran the entire show. Bajo continued just as before, and it's almost almost like nah, 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 nah. <laughs> you're not getting me. Yeah. I'm I'm staying right where I am. So right? so Baggio is appointing oh. bishops. Oh, Paul oh, the and sixth, he continues, continues. John Paul one, John Paul two, and we're getting Ooh. a rotten, rotten epistle. A rotten bunch. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, and Father, may I ask you wide, one question about worldwide? May I ask you one question no, about Velo? Not just here. Pardon me. Can I ask you about Velo? There's one. There's one question I have about Velo before we move on from. So, in my research, and it was I kind of touched on it in infiltration, but it said that the morning, well, the the morning after John Paul I died, Velo, Cardinal Velo, the Secretary of State, arrived early rearranged the room, perhaps took things from the room, and ordered John Paul I to be embalmed before the autopsy. Yeah, I believe that. That's all. So, yes. so you, you, that you if that's that. the case, Cardinal Velo arriving, or how did he know to arrive early and go? And he told the nuns, don't come in here. He shut them out. How did he know to get there early? Why did he rearrange things? And then why did he order a rapid-fire embalmment? That to me is a little bit more than he just had a heart attack. That to me sounds like some well, foul play. 
It could be. Yeah. But he was he was the first person that they that the nuns would have called. Uh, they say it was McGee and this on the other thing, but they would have called below immediately right, to, to, to get there. Uh, that he rearranged things? Yes, he did. That he took papers that were there? Yes, he did. Yeah. Uh, what those papers were, I give you my guess on it. I don't know. Right. But I'm willing to I'm willing to guess pretty solidly that it was the 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 Gagnon uh, suggestions for replacements and changes in the curia. Uh, Below, who was Below's best friend among the Cardinals? Cardinal Baggio. <laughs> they, they, were, they, were absolute, they were absolute best friends. They understood each other tremendously well. And Below was the one who, put, who got Baggio the job as, uh, as, uh, to name all of the bishops. So this is, these, these people know the game they're playing. They, they know the game they're playing and the stakes that are there. So Gagnon asks me again, can we go see Pope John Paul II? I have an audience with him tomorrow. Again, to bring this dossier. I don't know how many copies of it he made, right? I, I, said, I said, certainly. Well, the, Pope Paul didn't accept it, so he, he, had, he had only two copies, I guess. Um, I drove him there. He went again up in the elevator. I'm waiting for, for him for the, for the audience with John Paul II. He explained to John Paul II everything. He said that he came down not disappointed. And when he came down the elevator after the audience with the Pope, he came down angry. Gagnon, he was angry. I got out of the car to open up the door for him and he didn't speak to me. He was so angry he didn't speak to me. <laughs> we get in the car, we're driving. I said, and? <laughs> he said, He's not going to do anything. He's not going to do anything. Wow. Is he, is he going to read the, the, he said, who knows if he's going to do it? He, he already has it. He has it. He read it. He knows what, what it is. I'm suggesting what he has to do. He's not going to do anything. I said, so? He said, so what are you doing tomorrow morning? I said, at your orders. I had classes in the Gregorian, but Gagnon would ask a favor. I'd gladly cut the classes. He said, I want you to take me to the airport. You're going where? He said, I'm resigning. That's it. I've had it. Wow. This is enough. That's enough. I can't take wow. any more of this. You're not taking my advice. I've spent three years on this whole thing. He said, I'm watching my church being destroyed and there's nothing I can do. He said, I was happy in the jungles of Colombia before I came here. He was in the Colombia, in Colombia. He loved Colombia. He said, I'll go back to, to the jungles. He said, and preach on the sacred heart of Jesus. He gave retreats in, to, to small villages. He said, let me do that. He said, I can't deal with this jungle anymore. I drove him to the airport. But before I drove him to the airport, he said, can we go by? He said, I want you to swing by the Vatican. And we got there. And again, in San Cortiles and so he said, here, take this letter up to Cardinal Velo. It's my resignation. Wow! I said, I'm dressed. I, I, I'm dressed in a in a in a blue jacket and and in civvies, right? Because it, it was a day. It was a free day from school. I think it was a Thursday or something. So I'm not dressed in a collar or anything else to go up to the Secretary of State. Right? He said, just go. He said, and he said that you're not dressed in a collar. 
that'll show that that'll show you you'll be able to show them the dignity you have for them <laughs> the, the, mm. you have you can show them your opinion of them the way you're dressed just go well i went up uh i gave the letter i said can is, is cardinal uh, cardinal below and, and the, the the man at the receptionist was a very antipatico type that no his, his eminence is busy and you have to have an appointment i said fine 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 would you give this to his eminence I got halfway down the corridor. I got halfway down the corridor, La, La Galleria. And from the door, I hear below, you, you. <laughs> I turned around, it's only me. I said, yes, me? He said, you, come here. No, not please, thank you, no, 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 just, you know, now. Right. I. I went back. I took my time, though. I walked back. I didn't run. I said, yes, eminence, yes. What is it? He said, where is Gagnon? I said, right there. He's in my car in the Cortile. You tell him to get up here right now. I said, no. You can tell him if you want to. Why don't you go down and talk to him? I'm not going to go down and order him up. You want to talk to him? You go down and talk to him. He said, I'm telling you, go down and talk. I said, I'm telling you no. And wow. I turned and walked out. And I said, I hope he doesn't recognize me because I was still working at the information office. I said, I hope he thinks I'm just, you know, Joe Schlink the midget or something that coming <laughs> off the street. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I got back down to the car and I told Gagnon, I said, Gagnon said, hit it, let's go. <laughs> so right. I drove him to the airport. He got out at the airport, had his ticket and everything else, uh, left me the keys to his car, up, up. and that's it. Didn't see, didn't see him at all for years. No one knew where he was. Oh, let me not forget this. Let me not forget this, very important. Gagnon told John Paul II, he said, you've got a problem with the Vatican Bank. It's going to implode. It's going to be, he said, I have the, I have the documentation here. You have a problem with the Vatican Bank. This is Marchinkus, who is the head of the bank. Oh, Marchinkus. Uh, you know, I've got to tell you, Taylor, more than, more than an evil man, he wasn't. He was, a, he was, he was kind of dumb. <laughs> he was. Well, they called him the gorilla. He, yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Magilla gorilla. But, yeah. but he, he was, he, he wasn't the, he wasn't the brightest bulb in the pack. He really wasn't. And uh, when you when you have that, plus you have an arrogance, that's a deadly combination. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got a guy, my, my uncle, who is city attorney of Miami, came to, to Rome a couple times. And uh, I had to take him to the Vatican Bank to, to cash a check. In those days, it was a big deal, a personal check. So I said, would you like to meet uh, uh, Bishop Marchinkus? He's in his office right here. He said, yes, I'd like to meet him. We walked in. It, it sounds like I'm making this up. The man is with his feet on top of his desk, crossed, right? smoking a, a cigar. This is, the, this is the president of the head of the Vatican Bank. I mean, That's why what would bankers you do. Like that? Why, why? Why? You know, it's, it's like a Thurston Howell the, the mm. third or something. <laughs> Hello, lobby. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. So, Anyway, he he made a total mess out of the whole thing. But who was behind the total mess? 
the Italian Freemasons, Propaganda Due. Yeah. And when people think, people think you're making this up, these people are in prison. I think some of them still. Why are they in prison? For a Freemasonry plot against the Vatican finances. Right. That's the official reason. And P2, P2, Propaganda Due, was outlawed officially in Italy after this case. That's right. right? Now, this is Freemasonry. Gagnon told this to the Pope. You have Freemasons planning to topple Vatican finances. Hmm? He said, all right. He said, he said this will get you. If that, didn't, if, you, if that didn't get you, this will get you. There's a plot against your life, Holy Father. Hmm. There's a plot against your life from the East, from the Eastern Bloc. He said, I know it. It's in the documentation. Gagnon knew there was a there was a a little bit of a, a, a I don't know if it, would, it wasn't blasphemous, but but it's, it, they, they said that Gagnon knew as much as the Holy Ghost right? mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to what was going on. He investigated everything. Right? He said, "There's a plot against your life." And the, I said, "And what did the what did the Holy Father say?" He said, "He said, who would want to kill the Pope?" <laughs> Gagnon said, "I've got a list longer than my arm." <laughs> what are you right. But the people who work who work for you, you can start there. Anyway, Gagnon left. When the Holy Father, well, the next year before that, it wasn't even a year, the Vatican Bank scandal exploded. Mm -hmm. Why did it explode? Because nothing was done to prevent it. Right. It could have been taken care of. It could have been taken care of. On the 13th of May, 1981, uh, an assassin tried to kill the Pope in St. Peter's Square. The Holy Father was in uh, Gemelli Hospital, I don't know how many months. And, and this is another... Are we over the time limit? We're way over, but I'm enjoying it, Father. So, <laughs> are we okay? All right. Yeah. This, so the whole, I mean, the, the, the these father. stories these stories need to be told. It's it's one well, thing for me as listen, a younger listen. man to write a book about it. It's another to talk to someone who was actually there and was part of these conversations. So, I decided to write to write my book precisely because. Nobody in my family has ever lived past 72 years of age. And, and I said, I better write it now. I just, yes. I wanted it, I wanted it on the record. And, uh, you know, you've, you've had to have encountered this also. When I wrote the book, I said, these are my honest to God memories of what happened. And the only thing that I was a little bit fuzzy on were the exact dates of things because... I didn't have them written down, but I knew what happened. And I know the role that I played in things. Uh, a couple people criticized me because uh, I don't They were almost accusing me kind of diplomatically, but not so much of, of, of creating things that could not be proven. Hmm. I said, I, I don't know how, uh, how do I prove it? Cardinal Gagnon is dead. Monsignor Marini died in 2009. Well, 
out of the blue, I get a letter from Roberto Di Mattei. Mm -hmm. He said, Father, I heard you were accused of, of, uh, of, of, of not being forthright on this point, on that point. He said, he said, may I call you? I said, sure. Well, he called me. He said, Monsignor Marini was a very good friend of mine, and so was Cardinal Gagnon. I happen to know that everything you're saying in your book, I just read your book, he said, for the second time, everything you're saying in your book is exactly what happened. I know it independently from both of them and from other sources. He said, would you permit me to write the introduction to your book? There you go. I said, are you kidding? I said, but I permit it. Absolutely. I said, but it's already written. He said, you can always have another one. Call, call one the preface and the other, this one the introduction or whatever. Yeah. Thank goodness for him because he verified, he verified the claims that I'm making. I knew they were true, but you, you, could, you could doubt them if you wanted to. And, and Roberto, Roberto De Matei is preeminent in, church in, historians of our time. I, yeah. Speaking, I, I met him at the Angelicum shortly after infiltration came and he came over to me. And I was very in awe that I was meeting him. And he said, I read your book, Infiltration. By then, it hadn't been in Italian. It's just in English. And I was waiting for the boom. And he said, it was very good. I agree with it. For me, that was a big moment to hear Roberto De Matei say that well, about the book. That, that, was, that was quite a compliment. For me, because, yeah. For me, it was, a, it was make, big. Yeah. Anyway, with, with this, with this uh, the Pope is in Jameli Hospital, almost dying. Now let me jump. Let me jump ahead, and I'm, I'm sorry for the people in your audience who have already heard all of these stories. Yes, but I get a kick out of telling them anyway. I had a heart attack in Rome in 2005. I was crossing St. Peter's Square during a papal audience. Wow! And I had a heart attack. Right? They take me to Gemelli Hospital, and in Gemelli Hospital, the doctors come into my room, and they've got five or six student doctors behind them, uh, saying, "We have to operate on you tomorrow." Now, Taylor, I love the Italians. I love their music. I love their language. I love their food. I love their way of life. I do not care for their medicine. And I was a student in Rome for nine years. I lived there and I saw some atrocious things in Italian hospitals. Okay. So when the man, I'm in bed in the Gemelli hospital, the man says to me, tomorrow I'm operating on you. I said, no. Uh, tomorrow I'll get up and take a plane back to New York and I'll be operated on. If, if I need an operation, I'll be operated there. He said, you won't make it to New York. He said, I can tell you, you won't make it to New York. You can't get on a plane. It's on the other thing. And then he says to me, he says to me, I wish I, I, I wish I had filmed this. In those days, we didn't have the, the cameras. Right? He said, I think you have your doubts about Italian medicine. <laughs> and I said, as a matter of fact, you're right. I do. I do. I said, I love everything else about you, not medicine. Uh, he said, he said, I'll have you know, he said, I'll have you know that in this very room, in this very bed, the very bed you're in, we saved the life of Pope John Paul II. Wow. I said, you saved his life? He said, yes, I was one of the doctors on the team. I said, you almost killed him. And the, and the five student doctors behind him were like, 
I said, the man who saved his life is a doctor from New York. His name is Dr. Kevin Cahill, specialist in tropical diseases. Cardinal O'Connor flew him over on a private jet to get to the hospital in time to save the Pope's life. You gave him during the operation contaminated blood and he contracted hepatitis. That's, he almost died of the hepatitis. Were it not for Kevin Cahill, he would have died. You saved his life and you think tomorrow you're gonna operate on me? <laughs> no, thank you. Well, the long and the short is they had to operate on me because they wouldn't let me out of the hospital. And Mario Marini came to the hospital and screamed at me that I had to be operated on and everything else. Uh, then I thought to myself, you know, what an idiot you are talking to me. You're insulting the doctor who's going to operate on you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't one of my sharper moves in life. Right. Anyway, anyway, the Pope recovered from that. When he finally recovered, they say, I was not there, but I've heard it from good sources. They say that when he recovered, when he regained consciousness, the first words out of his mouth out of the pontifical mouth were find Gagnon. Whoa. Because Casseroli. Gagnon told him your life is in danger. That's right. That's right. The Casseroli went out immediately, started searching for Gagnon. Where is Gagnon? Where in the world is Gagnon? Right? Well, they found him. And, and, and Casseroli said, the Holy Father is asking that you come to Rome immediately. He said, the Holy Father is still in critical health and he's asking you to be here in Rome. He wants to talk to you. Well, Gagnon arrived, uh, talked to the Holy Father. The Holy Father said, I want you here in Rome. I want you to take over the congregation for the, for the family uh, and, and stay here. He said, we have, we have some business to attend to, right? He said, absolutely, Holy Father, on one condition, you get rid of Cardinal Baggio from the Congregation of Bishops immediately. And the Pope said, yes. Well, that immediately took two more years. Wow. All right. Now, again, the Pope is sick and he's to recover from what he went through was major. But he finally got rid of Baggio. And then he made Gagnon a cardinal, right? And Gagnon stayed in Rome. Uh, he put in charge of, oh, another thing, uh, John Paul II also asked Benelli, this is while Casaroli is already his secretary of state, asked Benelli to come back to the Vatican to be his, his secretary of state, all right? All right. Benelli died one week later of a heart attack. A man completely 61 years old, healthy, healthy mm -hmm. as a racehorse. Right? Nothing wrong. Named, he accepted to be to go back to Rome and be Secretary of State. They would have made a team like you've never seen a team, like John Paul I would have with Benelli. Benelli was a strong man. He wasn't afraid of anybody, and he wanted he wanted things straight and the way they should be. Uh, Benelli died a week after he had accepted to become Secretary of State. You think there's fair, you think so there's foul play? Went, it, just went, it just went down from it just went down from there. Nobody was really taking care of the of the store. 
And again, the Pope made 104 trips. And every time he made a trip, the Roman Curia applauded. Yes, yes, Holy Father, more trips. Yes, yes, they need you in in Timbuktu. Yes, yes, yes. This is the way it was run. A good man, a saintly man. I think he had the best of intentions, but uh, he wasn't too wise when it came to governing. It's it's like a father, a father who takes too many business trips. There you go. Things fall apart at home. There you go. You, I couldn't, I couldn't say it better. That's that's exactly right. Anyway, that's where we're at. That's my book. And what I wanted to to share with you is this, and then I'll shut up, I promise. I'm, I'm sorry we're going over it. It's almost two hours. But here's the thing. When you're talking about the infiltration of the Catholic Church, that isn't even a theory. That isn't a theory. That's a fact. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's connected to a thousand dots of other facts that went into to the destruction, dismantling, of the, of the Catholic Church. This pontificate today, the last 11 years, has been a dismantling like I don't think we've ever seen in the history of the church. I've never seen anything like it, right. and I'm a student of history. I love history of the church. Never seen anything like this, nothing. But this could not have happened were it not for what happened in the 1970s and 1980s. Right. Just couldn't. Uh, Pope Benedict, he had some great ideas. He really had some great ideas. The reform of the reform, uh, if I may suggest, Father Fezio, who's a, a dear friend of mine, great loyal friend for years, uh, gave a talk at Star of the Sea in San Francisco on Cardinal Ratzinger and the, the, the reform of the reform. It was the first time I heard it really well explained. It's very good. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's about an, uh, an hour talk. But what he explains and what was, what Ratzinger wanted to do seemed to me, had it been done right after the council, it would have been fantastic. It would have saved us all of this, all of this confusion of, of 65 years of confusion. But anyway, that's it. Yeah. Your thesis of the, your, your facts about an infiltration in the Catholic Church are absolutely true. There's no question of it. What I'm adding to it in this book is simply an addition to what you've got. You already hit it. You've hit the points. That's it. There's one other book that I would suggest to to your listeners, uh, The Sangalan Mafia Mm -hmm. by Julia uh, Maloney. When you see when when you read these three books, and not and I'm not just saying because one of the books is yours and the other one is mine. I'm not saying that. It's not this is not for book sales. Although, you know <laughs> those three books, I think, give the best layout of the church from nineteen sixty five to the present. Yeah. I, I think I think in those three books are the answers when you when you say, how did we get to where we are today? They're answered in those three books, in your book, Julia's book, and my book. Yeah. They're all, they, they, they really are. It's, it's all there. And those, you don't have to look for a fourth book. It's not necessary well, if you want to. There are, there are many books out there. Yeah. But those three, I think, these three really say it, really say it. I know 
because your book has upset many people and my book has upset many people and Julian's book has upset many people. They've got to be good. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They've got to be good. They are good. Well, they you know, good. when these books because first came out, they were very controversial. You know, a lot of people gunned at me, gunned at you. And, um, but as the years have rolled by, my book came out in 2019. It's been vindicated, I think, several times over. And as more information, I think the, the, the stories and the background and the facts and you explaining what was going on with Cardinal Gagnon and, and all these stories really gives a, a human, not just a snapshot, it's like a, a human video of what these interactions were like. I mean, Gagnon met with, with Paul VI, John Paul I, John Paul II, and you, you see all the characters here, Baggio and, and Velo and Marchinkas and all these guys. And as you were, I mean, we were going to go 55 minutes today. We're at uh, one hour 44. But a, as you've been speaking, I have about a dozen questions in my head, but I don't want to interrupt you because I just want you, I want to hear what you're saying. But uh, if it's, if, if you're willing, Father, I, I want to do this again because I have a lot of questions and, and things that oh, I want to learn. I want to learn from I you. I love to. I would love to. Yeah, I want to learn from you. You're, you're, you're a gracious host. You also, by your book and by your worries for the church, I can see, and I think everybody sees the depth of your faith. Uh, you're a man of faith, and we appreciate that about you. We really do. You're coming from the you're coming from the from the right place to be heard. Um, Yes. Any, 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 any other time you want to get together, all you have to, you know, yeah. you know how to do that with me. Yeah. Just yell. Let's do it again soon. Let's do it again soon. Sure. Sounds awesome. good. Well, everyone, thanks for Taylor, watching. I'm gonna, it, I'm has have... been, it has been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure well, and an honor. I mean that. And Father, may we have a blessing before we, we sign off? Absolutely. Absolutely. Dominus vobiscum, et cum spiritu tuo. Benedicat vos omnipotens Deus, Pater et Filius et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Taylor. Thank you, Father Charles Murray. Everyone get the book, Murder in the 33rd Degree. And you can also go to, is it fathercharlesmurray.com or charlesmurray.com? No, just charlesmurray.com. And you can see all the there's, all, there's other great books on there as, uh, by, by Father Murray here. So check those out. Uh, Father, thank you for being on. We're going to do it again. So make sure everyone you subscribe, you'll be notified. Next time we, we do another one of these interviews, I mean, I could, man, we could do five more of these. There's so much info here. So thank you so much, Father. Taylor, thank you very much. All right. Now, Every, and, uh, by the way, congratulate your children. You've got how many children? Eight. 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 I've, never, I've never seen a living room so quiet with eight children. <laughs> I was one of eight. Our living room was never that quiet. Congratulate yeah. your wife for me. Yes. Exactly. God bless, exactly. Taylor. Thank you very Thank you. much. All right, everybody. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty and make sure you pray your rosary every day. Thank you, Father. Thank you.